Welcome to the weekly podcast from Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. For more information about Faith Community, please visit our website at www.faithcommunitychurch.net or check us out on Facebook by searching Faith Community Church Janesville. You can also reach us by email at podcast at faithjanesville.org. You can be a part of this ministry and help advance the kingdom by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a five-star review. This helps us spread the word of God in the podcast world, allowing us to better reach more people in the name of Christ. For those who need it. Now, uh, we had a, a little bit of a snowstorm. I didn't think it was as bad as the forecasters said it was going to be. Last night was a little slippery going out home after service last night, but today the roads were plowed and it wasn't that bad. But I do want to use this opportunity to talk about the fact that we have never canceled a church service on a weekend ever. In 32 years, we've been here when it's 25 below zero. We've been here when there's 20 inches of snow. We have never canceled it. We have no idea, no intention of ever canceling because of the weather. So you don't have to check WCLO or call the church or check the website. Doesn't matter what the weather is, we're going to have service. If it's just three people coming and singing Kubaya, just hope that I'm not the one leading it. But we'll be here. We're going to have church. We had a family. Uh, we had a couple families. We had 12 people from Fort Atkinson, first-time visitors at the 8.30 service today. Can you imagine if they'd gotten here and we were closed and they came all that way? So we've got too many people coming from too far to cancel. So we'll always be open on the weekends. Now, I do want, before we get into the message, I want to give you an update on our Christmas Eve offering. We had, we packed it out, right? We had 1,200 people on our Christmas services. And so I got a feeling, I said, boy, there's a lot of people I'm feeling pretty good about this. Uh, our goal was $10,000 to help HealthNet, which provides free health care and dental care to those who need it in our community. It was an aggressive goal, but it was something that was attainable. And so when the numbers came in, uh, here's where we're at. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Boom. So... We uh, exceeded our goal, so thank you to you. Thanks, folks online, for giving, and they were very blessed to receive that. So thank you. Good job. Good job, Faith. So we're going through the life of Jesus, the gospel project, and we are in Matthew's gospel, the fifth chapter today. When I say to you righteousness, what is righteousness? What do you envision? Or when I say to you, think of a righteous person, person. Do you what do you envision? Probably not yourself, right? But what do you envision? When, or we talk about New Year's resolutions, maybe you have some. Do they involve righteousness in any way? Is, there, is that something you want to grow in? Is it really important to grow in righteousness? And Jesus says, without righteousness, we'll not see the kingdom of God. And so I think it must be pretty important. So let's tune in to the sermon that's already in progress, the Sermon on the Mount, and let's pick in on verses 17 through 20 of Matthew chapter 5 today and see what Jesus 
has to say to us about righteousness. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. In fact, there were probably many who taught that or who were saying that and trying to turn people against Jesus. And Jesus says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus became the only person who ever fulfilled the law completely. Always act in accordance with the will and purpose of the Father. Jesus showed us what it was to lead a righteous life. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what we've got to do is we've got to, first of all, define righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is doing, acting according to the will and purposes of God all the time. All the time. That's a truly righteous life. Now, you and I get it right sometimes, right? We act according to His will and promises sometimes. Maybe so you have some halos. Maybe you act according to His will and promises most of the time. But none of us act according to His promises all of the time, right? None of us do. That's why ultimately righteousness is imparted as an act of grace received by faith, right? We, and it's been that way since the beginning, since God began to establish his people and he called Abraham in Genesis 15. says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So even before the law, God credited to Abraham righteousness through his faith. But there is a type of righteousness we're going to be talking about, and that is the righteousness that is expected of us as believers, that we should be growing in after we've made that decision to follow and serve the Lord. Jesus is going to make a statement in verse 20 that would have been shocking and very confusing to the average listener. He's going to make this statement, then he's going to define what he means. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses, goes beyond that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. That was an astonishing thing to say. If you were to ask the question, when I say righteousness, what comes to mind to the people of the Bible times, they probably would have thought about the Pharisees. They were men who were dedicated to living righteous lives. Their names means the separated ones. We've come out from among you, and we are dedicating ourselves to observing the law of God to the utmost degree. And not only did they follow the law of God, they followed the laws man had written about the laws of God. And they took that oral tradition and they elevated it to the same level of Scripture and said, we're going to obey those laws as well. And so the way they dressed their habits, their actions, their rituals, their ceremonies, impeccable. You looked at a Pharisee and they were the poster boys for righteousness. So when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you would think, well, what hope is there for me? How can I be more righteous than the Pharisees? 
Pharisees were regarded with high esteem in society. You would love for your son to grow up to be a Pharisee because that would mean your son was godly. Your son was, had authority. Your son was probably well-educated and well-off. And your son was in a place of prominence. But most importantly, your son would be respected because he was dedicated to the law of God, a Pharisee. And Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And he goes on to define what he means. That righteousness should be more than just external conformity. You see, he goes on and gives us a couple examples of what he means. He talks about murder. It's not just enough to not kill somebody. What matters to God is your heart. You shouldn't hate your brother or say these terrible things about your brother. Remember the word? He said the, the, the word racha. It wasn't just what you said. It was how you said it. If you called somebody that, it was a terrible insult to them. You're calling them like the ultimate idiot, right? Racha. I remember going to Sweden and they had a derogatory term when I had to speak there. And we, one, one of the hosts was telling me that in Sweden, you, if you said, you stick, it was this terrible thing to say. But it wasn't just what you said. It was how you'd say, you'd say, you stick. And when you said it like that, it was just this great insult. So it, it indicated the condition of the heart, right? It showed hate. And so Jesus said, it's not enough to simply not murder, but God's concerned that you not hate. Because that's where it comes from. That's where murder comes from. It's not enough to, to commit adultery. God says you shouldn't lust. Because when you lust, that's where the adultery ultimately comes from. So God is concerned not just about external compliance, but about inward transformation. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. You must be concerned not just about what people see, but you must be concerned with who you are becoming. Are you becoming like Christ? And there's two extremes. And we're going to look at both extremes. And probably you're somewhere on this, all of us are somewhere on this continuum, right? We're going to talk about the first extreme, which is legalism. Legalism. Legalism sees righteousness as the observance of certain set of rules. Here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. And sometimes those rules are from Scripture, and sometimes those rules are from the church. They're man-made. And we say, well, here's what we don't do. When I was growing up in our youth group, Christians didn't go to dance. Christians didn't play cards. We were allowed to play rook, however. <laughs> Apparently, Jesus and the disciples played that or something. I don't know. But there were certain things we didn't do, right? And if you're a Christian, you don't do these things. And so these, these, these set of rules, and there's a certain way I dress, and a certain way I act, and certain words that I say that are holy and righteous. And if you look the part, that's really what's important, right? This external righteousness, legalism. So we all conforming to this external code of conduct and appearance and if we'll do that, we're righteous. Jesus addressed that in Matthew chapter 23. And he's talking about the Pharisees. And there were Pharisees there that day, by the way, who didn't look too kindly at what Jesus was saying about them. He says, everything they do is for people to see. 
Everything they do is for people to see. They make phylacteries. We'll talk about what those are. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels of their garments long. And they love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be seen as important. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. We've got an image of a Pharisee that we can show you here. Uh, This is a typical Pharisee. Now that on his forehead is the phylactery. And there's another one coming out on the left arm. The one on the top would have had four verses of Scripture. Two passages from Exodus, two passages from Deuteronomy. And so when God says, bind these, you know, on your forehead, they took that in the literal sense. And they would, when they prayed, they would literally put the scripture on their forehead and on their palm, right? And then they had the prayer shawl and the tassel, and the longer it was, the more holy you were. And you just came to synagogue, you looked holier than everybody else. You looked the part, right? Jesus says, but there's a problem with them. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you. In other words, what he's saying is if you take care of the inside, if righteousness comes from within, then there will be external conformity to God's laws. If that's what you, if you clean the inside first, the outside will comply. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you blind hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Tell us what you really think, Jesus. Please try not to hold back so much here. Which look beautiful on the outside, but in the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside... You are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I can remember when I was young and naive and thought all Christians didn't lie. No Christian would lie. If you're a Christian, you don't lie. And we are buying a house. And we asked them, are there, is there water in the basement? And they said no. As far as I was concerned, they said they were Christians. I know what church they go to. If there's no water, they say no water in the basement, there's no water in the basement. But my father-in-law said, get an inspection. Don't trust what they say. Get an inspection. Well, they're Christians, but okay. Inspector comes in, and we're walking in the basement. He goes, oh, I remember this place. Yeah, last time I was here, there was like six inches of water on this floor. We're like, what? Oh, yeah. He says, see the furnace here? It's all, it was all painted gray. He says, see the bottom where it's all the heavy paint on there? He says, notice that, he touched and he goes, notice this is covering rust. They don't want you to see the rust. He said, they, they, they covered this up with paint so you wouldn't see it. There's all kinds of water in this basement. I felt just betrayed and shocked, right? What they had done is they just tried to cover it up so that we wouldn't see it, so we wouldn't look underneath the surface and see the rust. We ended up buying the house, by the way, fixed the sump pump, which was the problem, and never really had any water in the basement. But the point is, righteousness is not a matter of external conformity to a set of rules, a code of conduct, but it's about inward transformation to the will of God. Legalism just says, uh, you know, this is what you see. What you see is not always what you get. 
Sometimes some of the most legalistic people can be some of the people who lack righteousness. And so God is more not concerned about the facade. God is concerned about the heart. And we look at the second extreme on the continuum, and that is antinomianism. Antinomianism is on the other side of the continuum. And what antinomianism says is this, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We are covered by grace, so it doesn't matter how you live, because you're going to be forgiven, and you're going to go to heaven. So live any way you want to live. And this can be overt. I mean, this existed in the, in the first century. It exists now. There was a church in our city. Thankfully, it doesn't exist anymore where they had as marketing materials for their church a t-shirt with the Ten Commandments with a big slash through it and a coffee mug. Their coffee mug for their visitors had the Ten Commandments with a line through it. You don't need to worry about these anymore because you're under grace. Jesus paid it all, man. So just go live your life. Just enjoy yourself and do what you want to do. That's pretty overt. And we can look at that and the red flags go up. We're like, oh, that's not right. What I'm concerned about is the subtle stuff. The person doesn't come out and say it. But when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, and it's talking about love your enemies, and forgiving people, and living a sacrificial life, and all that kind of stuff, they kind of go, you know, I'm going to fall short. It's okay. I'm covered by grace. So they're really not putting in the work. And when Paul talks about, you know, labor and strife for this we labor and strive for when paul talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling that's not something they know there, there's no working out anything they just kind of take the laissez-faire attitude jesus has done it all so i'm just going to kind of kick back and i'll check out for that stuff you can work on that stuff i don't need to worry about it because i'm good I've, I've got my ticket punched and it's subtle right it's just a mindset that kind of says, you know, spirituality, growing in righteousness, there's nothing I really got to do. Jesus has done it all. And that's the subtle version of antinomianism. And that's not backed up by Scripture either. You know, Paul is the one who said that we're saved by grace through faith, right? But Paul is also the one who said this to antinomianism. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Some have taken that mindset. All through the centuries, people have taken, remember Rasputin, right? From the last century, that was his mindset. You just sin and then God's grace abounds. And Paul says, no, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The same man who said we're saved by grace through faith, and not of yourself, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast, is the man who wrote that. What does Revelation reveal? Book of Revelation is the last book. You can't get any more post-Revelation scripture than the book of Revelation. It's the last book written, right? Jesus is going to talk what's unique about the book of Revelation is Jesus talks uniquely to seven different churches in Asia Minor, doesn't he? Thyatira and Pergamum and Philadelphia and Sardis and Smyrna and Laodicea. And he says, hey, I've got a letter for you guys, 
right? So he writes to them directly to talk to them about what he's seeing in their church. That would have been one nerve-wracking letter to, lead, to read if Jesus wrote a letter to Faith Community Church, right? We would all be like, oh man, you know, he's, you know, we're, we better listen to this. We better follow this. So it begins very friendly. It says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from Jesus Christ, who is faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from sins by his blood. And you would think if he says freed us from sins by his blood, is that a license to sin? Right? What does Jesus say then to the seven churches? Hey, guys, do whatever you want to do. If you read the book of Revelation, what does he say? Everybody's got a report card. Right? And every church but one gets scolded a little bit. And a couple gets scolded a lot. And Jesus says, here's what I expect of you. Here's what righteousness looks like. And you're falling short. Get your act together. And if you don't get your act together, there's going to be consequences, right? Jesus doesn't give them a pass. Jesus speaks directly to them and says he expects righteousness. So here's this tension, here's this dilemma that we have in Scripture that righteousness is and it's not yet. We know we've been made righteous because it's imputed by God as an act of grace to those who are following Christ. But we also know that righteousness is something that is in progress in our life. We know that because it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He began it, but it's not done. You go to Milwaukee any time of year, any day of the month, you're going to run into construction. I've never gone to Milwaukee and now run into construction. You guys are like Milwaukee. I am like Milwaukee. We are always under construction. There's always a pothole to fix somewhere. There's always something that, that is falling into disrepair, Right? you know, I better never run into you and you say, you know, God's done working with me. I'm all fixed. Yeah, I got no problems, you know. Everything's flowing like it's supposed to be flowing and I am always on the right page, always submitted to the will of God. God can go work on you or somebody else, but I'm done. Nobody can ever say that, right? Because we're always under construction. Paul bears that out in Philippians chapter 2. He says, continue, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a work in progress. It's called sanctification. Seeing righteousness lived in our life. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not to work for your salvation, but because you are saved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means with reverence, sober-mindedness, that you take it serious, right? Fear and trouble. When I say, when somebody goes to work out, there's some people that go to work out and there's some people that go to work out. Some people go to the gym, New Year's resolution, they want to show you their new tennis shoes, their new workout outfit. They're there to socialize, make friends, networking. And there's some people that go to work out. They're there to sweat. They're there to push themselves. They're there to grow muscle, grow endurance. You know, whatever their challenge is, they are working out right? 
They've got a plan. It says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. So we're talking about what? We're talking about righteousness. It's fulfilling the will and the purposes of God. The whole chapter, he says, have, your, have this mindset the same as Jesus, who humbled himself, who served other people, right? Don't consider your own needs, but also for the needs of others. The whole chapter is on righteousness, growing in righteousness. And Paul's saying, look, there has to be intention. This seems to indicate to me structure, strategy, intention. Oh, it's not something, righteousness, we don't grow in righteousness by osmosis. We don't grow in righteousness by coming to church and hanging around righteous people. That's not how it happens. It doesn't happen through head knowledge either. It's a part of it, but that's not the whole story. Righteousness is much more intentional than that. Uh, Mark Roshan is uh, my close friend, and he owns the Janesville Athletic Club in town. And we have lunch together pretty much every week and have done so for the last 20 years. And knowing somebody that well, you can challenge them, right? You can hold one another accountable and, and you're not afraid to say anything to somebody that you're that in a closer friendship with. And so he challenged me, he got in my face a little bit because I used to be a regular attender at the club, went to classes, played basketball and other things like that. And I've not done that really since the arthritis hit. I've been lax. And so he gets in my face a little bit this week and he says, you need to make a resolution to go to the club. And I went, yeah, you know, you're right, you're right. And he goes, okay, how many days a week are you going to go? What? How many days a week are you going to go? Three days. Okay, what time? What? What time are you going to go? One o'clock. Okay, he's got all these questions. What are you going to do? What are you going to work on? What you, you know, what's your, you know, you don't just, if you just have a laissez-faire attitude and you say, oh, I'm hoping to grow spiritually in 2022, chances are you'll probably grow squat. You might even, you know, regress a little bit. But if you're going into 2022 and you say, I want to grow in righteousness, I want to grow, then I would say to you, how? Do you want to grow in humility? Do you want to grow in, in mercy and compassion? Do you want to grow in faith? How do you want to grow in righteousness? And what is your plan? The person who's serious and intentional and strategic, sometimes they have partners. They have family partner with them and say, hey, we're going to work out every day at this time, or we're going to go to a class together every week at this time. Now, they're really serious. They get a trainer. They hire one of the trainers, and that trainer's going to say, what's your goals? What are you working on? Balance, strength, endurance? What do you want to do? And then they'll start where they're at and incrementally build to where they want to be. And there's accountability there. There's structure there. And I would suggest to you that what Paul's saying to us, when he says, work out your, with your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying, get a plan. Get a plan. Get serious. Get some structure. Grow how? What do you need to work on in your life? And if you say, well, I want to grow in humility, for example, then put yourself in a position where you'll serve people who can't help you, who may not say thank you, who won't 
give you a, one thing that won't give you accolades, something that you'll do in private, not in public, and serve. You say, well, I'm growing a little bit hard these days. You know, the world's kind of getting to me. I'm getting a little bit edgy. I, I really need to grow in mercy and compassion and put yourself someplace where you're going to serve others and you're going to see people who have less, more problems than you, than you have. There are more difficult situations than you are. And it's going to enable you to have greater compassion and greater mercy because you've put yourself in that place. I was so encouraged to see not only the gift of 16,000 to Mercy Health Net, but she says, we really had a lot of people from your church volunteering. They're going to be coming down to the Health Net and serving. And that encouraged me. See, that's what it is. We, our job as a church, we can't force you to do anything, but what we try to do is provide the opportunity. We've got a team going to serve the poorest of the poor in a Navajo Indian reservation this summer, right, Bertie? We're going again. We've gone many times. We'll probably go again after this. But there you'll serve and you'll grow in faith, right? You'll grow in, in courage. You'll grow. So you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to work out. There's some sweat involved. There's some planning involved. And if you say, ah, oh, you know, yeah, I want to grow, you probably won't. But if you become intentional and strategic and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to partner with you. Here's the area I want to grow in, and here's how I'm going to do it. Here's my mission. Here are my goals. Here are my objectives, right? The fitness person who's training for a marathon puts it on the map and says, I'm going to run a marathon there. And then they start, and that's never me, by the way. Never will be me. But they put it on the map, and they say, here's what I have to do. Here's the benchmarks along the way. And they set a date. And by this date, I'm going to be ready to run that 26 miles. Paul is saying, get intentional. We are righteous in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ. We are righteous, but yet still in the process of being made righteous. And that, friends, you have a part in. And Paul gives us the invitation through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's conform on the inside. And as we do that, the outside takes care of itself. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you today for this passage from your scripture. Lord, we pray that you would help all of us, those online, we know we have a greater number online than normal today. We pray, Lord, that they would just be encouraged by this word, strengthened by this word. For those of us who are here, that we would take to heart this admonition from the Apostle Paul and seek to grow specifically in areas of righteousness in our lives in 2022, that we'll be intentional, that we'll have structure. In the end, Lord, the righteousness is not to bring glory to ourselves, but is to bring glory to your name, to grow your kingdom. And now, Father, as we prepare to receive communion, ready our hearts to receive of the body and blood of Christ moments from now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Community Church Podcast. We are glad that you joined us and hope that you were blessed by the message. If you would like to join us in the ministry of sharing the Word of God, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. This helps us build the analytics of the channel, allowing us to better reach people in the name of Christ. Go be the light in your family, your community, and your church. God bless you.